CWCCS podcast with Pastor Al Pittman. Today we jump into the Old Testament book of Hosea for a message called Mercy Personified. Pastor Al will challenge us to look at our sin from a different perspective and to see how sin robs God of his glory in our lives. Let's go now to Pastor Al. I want to talk to you today about Mercy Personified. Mercy Personified, that was a great topic for this Communion Sunday. Hosea chapter 1, we'll be looking at the entire chapter, it's a very short chapter. Give you a little background on Hosea, the ministry and the message of Hosea was primarily directed toward northern Israel. Israel at this time, during the time of Hosea, was divided into northern Israel and southern Israel called Judah. And his ministry took place, excuse me, at a turbulent and violent period in the history of northern Israel. And during this time, there was a king by the name of Jeroboam, Jeroboam II, uh, who was reigning at, that, at the time that uh, Hosea's ministry was going on. To give you a time reference, this Hosea, or Jer- Jer- excuse me, Jeroboam II reigned from 793 to 753 B.C., but as with many of the northern kings, a lot of the northern kings were just simply put, were knuckleheads. And um, they rebelled against God. And just like the rest of the northern kings, Jeroboam II did the same. In fact, the Bible says in 2 Kings fourteen twenty four that Jeroboam did evil in the sight of the Lord. His reign ended 13 years before the, what is called historically the Assyrian captivity when northern Israel was carried away in the Assyrian captivity as a part of God's judgment, uh, I might add. The major issue that Hosea confronted in northern Israel was idolatry. God hates idolatry. It robs him of true worship. It, 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 it robs us of our true purpose. But they were practicing idolatry in northern Israel. They had turned away from the living God to the pagan god Baal, or Baal, some people pronounce it. And um, this particular god that they worshipped, this is god, this pagan god, Baal, was known as the god of sensuality. People were naturally drawn to him in the flesh, to worship this god in the flesh because it involved sexual immorality and, uh, through worship, and part of the worship was involved, involving sexual immorality. Also known as the god of Baal, was also known as the god of fertility. And interesting enough, the god of weather. Amen. <laughs> It is said of Baal that he was the god of rain and dew. And I think it's interesting today that there are so many world leaders that are obsessed, it seems, with climate change. I believe in climate change. Because I believe the climate changes. (laughs) I lived here in Colorado long enough to know that. And then, amen, (laughs) praise the Lord. Indeed, you know, uh, God has granted mankind stewardship over the earth. I don't, you know, make fun of any opportunities or whatever to, to improve, uh, you know, the, uh, the planet or what have you. But man is a steward over the earth, but not the sustainers of it. In Psalm 104 verse 30 says, speaking of God, and you renew the face of the earth. It is God who renews the earth, not mankind. I believe that there's an underlying spirit behind 
the world's obsession with climate change. And I believe it is the idea that apart from God, we can save ourselves, that we do not need God. We can do it all ourselves. The planet's in danger. Oh, let's not look to God. Let's look to ourselves. Nations are willing to spend billions and trillions to save the planet while rejecting the one who not only sustains the planet, but who can save your soul. As we'll see, the days of Hosea, the prophet, are the same as today, or today is the same as the days of Hosea. And the reason I say that is because today we have corrupt leadership. Today we have rampant godlessness culminating in turbulent and violent times. This is where we find northern Israel. They had rejected God and said, we will save ourselves. Yet in the midst of all this, because I know you said, Pastor Al, I didn't come this morning. I came to hear uplifting message. <laughs> You're bumming me out. Stop it. <laughs> but in the midst of all this, there is hope. In the midst of all of this, and even today, there's a personification of mercy. It should be noted that Hosea's message in context, we read it in context, was really directed toward, at that time, God's people, God's children, the children of Israel. And I think it's important for us to understand that, that God's speaking to his people, because I believe God is speaking to his people even today through the book of Hosea. So this is very relevant for us. It's not something that happened way back when, but it's something that we can apply to the church today. The rebellion of Israel in the eyes of God amounted to nothing less than spiritual prostitution. You say, that's a pretty strong term. I, you know, that's, is that in the Bible? Yes, it is. I'm glad you asked. <laughs> there it is in Leviticus chapter 20, verses 4 to 6, where God says, why to Israel? He says, why should you prostitute yourselves? Why should you give yourself to Harlotry, spiritual harlotry, spiritual prostitution. And I think it's, it's, it's important for us to understand that this is what God sees when he sees our sins. When, when we willfully, now the, the emphasis on the word willfully sin, and there are times we have willfully, can I get real about it? We have willfully sinned. We knew it was wrong, but we sinned anyway. And when we willfully sin, sometimes we like to downgrade our sins. But, it, because, but in the eyes of God, you know, the, our sins are very grievous. We like to downplay them and say, oh, I made a mistake. Or I had a failure in judgment. Or I had a lapse in, moral, in morals. But in the eyes of God, our willful sin against God is spiritual adultery. That's what he sees. Now, it's important for us to understand that. And, and I, I really bring that point to bear because this is what northern Israel was doing. They were committing spiritual adultery. And when we willfully sin against God, we commit spiritual adultery. The reason I bring that out is to help us to understand and for us to realize that God is a person. Not in human form. God is spirit. He's not in human form, but he's spirit. But he has feelings and emotions. And that when we sin against God, it's not like sinning against this podium. It's just a thing, some inanimate object. 
it breaks his heart. Just as much as if a spouse steps out and sins against his spouse and commits adultery, you were wounded, you were hurt, and so is God when we sinned against him. And he sees our sin as spiritual adultery. What is the remedy to our adultery? Well, we'll see it here in the text, but also, you know, it's the same today as it was back in the Old Testament. It is simply repentance. Repentance. In Leviticus chapter 20, where God says, why do you prostitute yourself to the nation of Israel? He also said, consecrate yourselves, therefore, and be holy. For I am the Lord, your God. And you shall keep my statutes and perform them. I am the Lord who sanctifies you. That word sanctifies means to be set apart. Set apart for God. We belong to him. Northern Israel, Israel belonged to God. But northern Israel had forgotten they were sanctified, set apart for God's greater purpose and for his glory. So it is even with us today, when we sin willfully against God, when the church turns its back on the word of God, what are we doing? We are breaking the heart of God, and we have forgotten our purpose, and we have robbed God of his glory. The good news is this, that our spiritual harlotry can be healed. God is the God who renews the heart. He said, I'll give you a new heart. I'll give you a new mind. He's able to do that. Because of the manifestation or the personification of his mercy. Mercy is personified. We want to see how it's personified here in Hosea chapter 1. Because what we find here is really a foreshadow of what Jesus would do for us on the cross. We find it through the life of Hosea. The ministry of Hosea. So we began reading here. If you read along with me, verses 1 to 3. And the Bible says that the word of God that came... To Hosea, the son of Beri, or Beri, however you want to pronounce it. In the day of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. A lot of kings, that, while Hosea's ministry was going on, these kings of Judah, they were reigning in southern uh, Judah, in southern Israel. And in the day of Jeroboam, that is Jeroboam II, the son of Josh, Joash, king of Israel. Jeroboam II reigned for about 40, 41 years, depends on which uh, biblical historian that you read. So he reigned a long time. When the Lord began to speak by Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, go take yourself a wife. He who finds a wife finds a good thing. Amen. Go take a wife, however, of harlotry. And children of harlotry. For the land has committed great harlotry by departing from the Lord. So he went and took Gomer. Uh, don't name your daughter Gomer. <laughs> she will hate you. <laughs> Woman by the name of Gomer, the daughter of Diblaim. And she conceived and bore him a son. According to the text, she had other children, but, you know, she conceived with Hosea and bore Hosea a son. When I read that, first time, every time I read it, I just think, you know, it's, it's interesting that God would have him to do this. Go take yourself a wife of harlotry. 
go find you a woman in the community that you wouldn't bring home to mama. <laughs> go find you a woman. Now, this is that Gomer had a reputation of harlotry. Amen. Uh, back in the day, we used to call a woman that had a reputation of harlotry a hoe. I guess that's why we call the book Hosea. Amen. <laughs> I just thought I'd throw that out. <laughs> Forgive me. But she was, a, she was a harlot. Go take a woman of harlotry. And I thought, wow, Lord, why would you commission your prophet to do this, Hosea? And Lord, you surely don't know anything about e-harmony. <laughs> and the second thought came to me the other day. It was like, no, God says, I know everything about e-harmony, eternal harmony. And this is the reason why he is calling Hosea to find a wife of harlotry because he wants to show Israel their true condition before his eyes. So we look in the mirror and we see ourselves and think, I'm looking good, I'm, I'm all right. But God sees the truth. And I wonder when the Lord looks at the church today, what does he really see? So it just, you know, it makes us stop and pause that God sees the truth about us. God wanted him to marry this woman of harlotry to show Israel their true condition, spiritual condition before the Lord. Their true condition. In chapter 1, she has three children for, uh, for, with Hosea. And interesting, they're given names, obviously, the children are. And, but each name to sent a message to Israel of their true condition. Each one of the names of these children represented God's impending judgment against northern Israel. The impending judgment, of course, was the Assyrian Empire that would come down from the north and invade northern Israel and would take northern Israel away in what is called the Assyrian captivity in Scripture. And it would be taken away, held captive, taken out of their land or enslaved in their land. Yet at the same time, in the midst of this judgment, we find God's mercy being personified. The first child in verses 4 and 5, read along with me, the Bible says, and then the Lord said to him, this first child that she bore, <coughs> excuse me, called his name Jezreel. When a little while, I will avenge the blood shed of Jezreel in the house of Jehu. Hmm. And bring an end to the kingdom of the house of Israel. I'm going to destroy northern Israel. And it shall come to pass in that day that I will break <coughs> excuse me, the bow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel. Okay, just a little background with this excuse me call his name Jezreel first and foremost Jezreel literally means God sows or he scatters like seed and when it's the Assyrians come down against northern Israel they will 
Israel, the people of Israel would be scattered. So again, it speaks of God's impending judgment. And it speaks of his just judgment uh, against his people. The background to this judgment is first one that we find here in the name of Jezreel. Uh, you can go back to 1 Kings chapter 21. In 1 Kings chapter 21, there was a man there uh, by the name of Naboth, Naboth the Jezreelite. In the land of Jezreel, the man by the name of Naboth the Jezreelite. And in that land, of course, at the time when Naboth was around, King Ahab was king. And he was a wicked king. He was a northern king, and he did evil in the sight of God. And he had a wife who was twice as wicked as he, he was. Her name was Jezebel. Ahab and Jezebel. Ahab wanted to buy Naboth's, Naboth's uh, vineyard. And Naboth said, I'm not selling. And uh, so what does Ahab do? He goes home, he cries to his wife. And uh, she says, put your big boy pants on. You're the king. Whatever you want, you can take it. And so they conspired, and they had Naboth stoned to death, had him killed. And God promised that he would avenge Naboth's death in Jezreel. And he said in 1 Kings 21, 19, I believe, that just as the dogs licked the blood of, of Naboth from, uh, that was on the ground, so it will lick the blood of Ahab. And so God did judge the household of Ahab through a man by the name of Jehu. Amen. Jehu. Yeah, spelled J-E-H-U. You see it there in the, in the text. And uh, in 2 Kings chapter 9 and, and, and uh, chapter 10. 2 Kings 9 and 10. So Jehu goes out and he strikes the house of Ahab and all that. And, uh, but Jehu turns out to be a Yahoo. Amen. My dad used to say, Yehu. <laughs> and uh, in that, he turned against the Lord as well and began to worship the, the gods of northern Israel. So he turned, he, despite the fact that God used him mightily, he turned against God because he started to think that he was, you know, a bag of chips and all that and whatever, you know, all that in a bag of chips, whatever. <laughs> he, he thought he was something. And it's a great warning there, a whole other message there about remaining humble. And so he took it upon himself to, you know, to exalt himself and all, and God is bringing judgment against him. Hence, we have the comment here, I will, in verse 4, I will avenge the blood of Jezreel on the house of Jehu. And the Lord would come and he would destroy, and Jezreel's name meant that the Lord would come and he would destroy um, the uh, Israel, northern Israel, defeat them, actually, in the valley of Jezreel. He says in the latter part there of uh, verse 5, that I will break the bow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel. To break the bow of a warrior was the ultimate sign of defeat. I will break the bow of Jezreel. And so Israel would be defeated in the valley of Jezreel, which really holds a very significant meaning because in the valley of Jezreel is where Baal or Baal was worshipped. He ruled, this god Baal ruled in uh, the worship of Baal, ruled in the, the valley of Jezreel. Uh, Ahab and Jezebel saw to it. And it's interesting, now here's the life lesson, is that the very thing that we prostitute ourselves for is the very thing that will destroy us. 
the very place that you prostitute yourself for to follow after the very thing or the very place or the place that you, pro- you uh, abandon God, I should say, is the very place where you'd be defeated. And here they were worshiping Baal. And the very place they worshiped Baal, where he was enthroned as supreme, is the very place God defeated Israel. Let it be a lesson to us. That thing the devil says you just can't live without, that person that you know you shouldn't be with and, and is leading you down the wrong path, he's, oh, I just have to be with that person, that very thing will destroy your life. Do not prostitute yourself. Learn a lesson from Israel. And so God says, I will scatter them. Jezreel, I will sow them, I will scatter them. But the good news, amen, is there is hope for those who have been scattered. Because the reality is that sin scatters, amen. Sin scatters, but God redeems. We've all been scattered, amen, because of sin, separated from God. But Jesus came for the scattered. He said that the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost, that which was scattered. That's you and me. Aren't you glad that he came for those who have been scattered, separated from God by sin? Amen. Now we can come home. Amen. Through faith in Christ, having been justified through trusting him, justified through the cross, his sacrifice, and his resurrection. So the first child's name is Jezreel, speaking of God's impending judgment. The second child we find here in verses 5 to to 7, I believe, and there, or 6 to 7, the Bible says, and then she conceived again, and she bore a daughter this time, and then God said to to him, to Hosea, call your daughter's name Lo-Ruhamah. Lo-Ruhamah, for I I will no longer have mercy on the house of Israel. But I will utterly take them away. They will be scattered. But I will have mercy on the house of Judah. He says, and will save them by the Lord their God. And will not save them by bow, nor by arrow, by sword, or battle, by horses, or horsemen. Amen. So this second judgment, he says, this is the true condition uh, of, uh, of northern Israel. And I want you to name your daughter to show them the true condition. No mercy. Lo, Ruhama. Judgment was coming again by the hand of the Assyrians. And they were, the Assyrians were known to not show any mercy. They were a vicious people. And in fact, historians tell us that they would put hooks in the mouths of their captives and link them together and lead them away and all. So they're very vicious people. They will show no mercy. But God says, I will not show them any mercy as well. I'm going to allow them to be scattered, to be defeated. And yet at the same time, we see that God is a God of mercy. We see that in the first part of verse 7 where he says, but I will show mercy, have mercy on the house of Judah. So all of Israel is not destroyed. Northern Israel is carried away into captivity, but Judah would be spared. Now later on, we know after about, uh, I think, a couple hundred years, Judah would follow behind northern Israel and their idolatry and would be carried away in what is called the Babylonian captivity. But at this time, God says, I will show Judah mercy. Be merciful toward Judah. In 2 Kings, how does he show his mercy? Well, in 2 Kings chapter uh, 19, we see the mercy of God towards Judah. 
And just long story short, the Assyrians come in, they invade northern Israel, they defeat northern Israel in the valley of Jezreel. Uh, they go down to Jerusalem, they're going to take Judah now, and they surround, besiege Jerusalem, and they start intimidating them and threatening them and all, and yet God intervenes, the Bible says, in Second Kings chapter 19, sends one angel, did I, did I say one angel? One angel into the camp of the Assyrian army that had surrounded Jerusalem was threatening them, saying, you know, your God's not going to help you, it's all over. God sent one angel. And that one angel went into the camp of the Assyrian army and slew 185,000 soldiers. One angel. And Judah was delivered. That's why the Lord God says here, and it's prophesied years before, where he says, And I will not save them by bow, nor by sword or battle, by horses or horsemen. Which is a great lesson for us in our lives that the victory that we have in Jesus Christ is not because of what we have done, but everything because of what God has done. Amen. Nobody can claim that they deserve to be saved. It is totally of God, not of bow, not of battle, not of your energy, not of horses, not of horsemen. Nothing we could do to save ourselves, but God in his mercy saved us. Amen. A great testament to that is what Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 2 when he said there, And you he made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. That's the devil. The world is under the influence of the devil. We were once under the influence. We were hopelessly under. I was hopelessly under the influence. Amen. Of the, of the devil, the power, the prince of the... What is, what is moving the world? And, the, and we're going, what's going on in the world? It, 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 the problem is not political, it's spiritual. See, that's what we're seeing. We need to get off that. You know, we just get the right part. No, no, it's spiritual, baby. It's spiritual. Power, the prince of the power of the air, the devil is moving, is, is moving people and, and orchestrating things. People are just too blind to see it. And so were we. So he says here that we, were, we walked according to the course of, of the rest of the world. The power of the prince of the, uh, the, the prince of the power of the air. The spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. Among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh. Fulfilling the desires of the flesh. And of the mind, our corrupt minds, and we're by nature, nature, we're on our way. On our way to hell. And by nature, we're uh, children, excuse me, children of wrath. But uh, just as the others. And then he says, but God. Amen. I love that. <laughs> Aren't you glad there's a but God in your Bible? Amen. <laughs> but God. Amen. I was hopelessly lost just as Jerusalem and Judah was hopelessly surrounded by the Assyrians and they couldn't deliver themselves. The enemy was too powerful for them. But God. Amen. When you felt like you couldn't make it, when everybody had given up on you, there was a but God in your future. You just didn't know it. Amen. But God who is rich in what? Mercy. God who is rich in mercy. Because of his great love with which he loved us. 
even when we were dead in trespasses, dead in our sins, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. Amen. Praise his holy name. Thank God. It wasn't bow. It wasn't battle. Your efforts. It wasn't, you know, horses or horsemen. But God, in his mercy, delivered Judah. And in his mercy, he delivered us. Praise his holy name. Amen. Thank you, Lord. So you may have come in this morning feeling low. Amen. Calling yourself low Ruhama. Feeling like there's no mercy for you, no second chance for you. I'm here to tell you that God's love and God's mercy is greater right now than how you feel. Amen? All you need to do is receive it. He's a merciful God. And he loves you. We come to the third child here. Again, God revealing to northern Israel their true condition. And we read here in verse Eight and following, where it says, Now when she had weaned, that is when Gomer had weaned Lo Ruhama, she conceived and bore son. Then God said, Call his name Lo Ami, for you are not my people, and I will not be your God. Devastating. Yet, here's a yet. We see here the grace of God. The number of the children of Israel shall be as a sand of the sea, which cannot be measured or numbered. My friends, this is a prophetic word about the church. The true descendants of Abraham are those who are of the faith of Abraham, what Paul said in the book of Romans. In fact, he went on to say that those who are true Jews... Are those who are of the faith of Abraham. Did you know that? Now God has still made his promise to Israel. He will fulfill his promise to Israel. America hasn't replaced Israel. The church is not Israel. But the church is the true descendants of Abraham. In spirit. Because we have the same faith. As Abraham had in God. He believed God and didn't doubt. What God has said. And so we are of the faith of Abraham. How can this prophecy be fulfilled unless he's speaking here about the church? Because let's read on. He says, and it shall come to pass that in the place where it was said to them, you are not my people. He says there it shall be said, it shall be said to them, you are sons of the living God. How is this? He's speaking here of the church. It's a prophetic word regarding the church. Then, of course, he includes here that then the children of Judah and and the children of Israel, they shall be one. There will be no more northern Israel and southern Israel or Judah. They shall be as one. They shall be gathered together and appoint for themselves one head, and they shall come up out of the land for great will be the day of Jezreel great will be the day of Israel's defeat but great will be the day of Jezreel some people believe that that great day of Jezreel is speaking again of Christ great will be the day of Christ's return of his victory 
over the nations. As Israel becomes one, it's now no longer divided. It's not divided today. But all of Israel will be restored when Jesus Christ comes back uh, to the earth. And those of us who are uh, of Christ, those of us, whether Jew or Gentile, that's in Christ, of course the Bible says that we have the right to be called children of God, of the living God. John chapter 1 verse 12 says, But as many as receive him, that is receive Jesus, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name. Amen. In the verse 11, speaking of Israel becoming one, again, some commentators believe that maybe either he's speaking here prophetically of another king that would gather them together as one. But Israel was divided at that time, and of course, maybe uh, they would be they would be reunited later on. Uh, but uh, I many believe the second school of thought is that he's speaking here about Jesus being that one head, that headship. And of course, the Bible says that he is the head of the church. Ephesians chapter four verse fifteen tells us that. But speaking the truth in love that we, the church, may grow up in all things into him who is the head, that is Christ. So many believe that he's, and I believe that today, speaking prophetically about Christ being the head over Jew and Gentile, the head, we're all being under the leadership of Christ. He is the head of the body of Christ, which is called the church. All right. The beautiful thing here to take away from this point concerning God's grace even though he said to northern Israel, you shall, I will no longer be your God. And he was no longer you know, the God over, uh, over, the, the northern, over northern Israel in the sense that they had rejected God. But then there is hope. Even in the midst of this judgment, we see mercy sustained Israel and sustains Israel to this very day. And so the word of God tells us that all of us who are in Christ, Christ is the one who really sustains us. Christ is the one by which we, we know that we are called children of God. And uh, we know that we're never fatherless in Jesus. You may not know who your daddy is, amen, on this earth. And you may lament over that. But I'm here to tell you, if you're in Christ, you're never fatherless. Amen. You're a child of the living God. And the word of God tells us that so, tells us so in Romans chapter 8 where it says that for you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Daddy, Father. Never forget that, that you are his child. And God cares for you. And the Bible says that the Spirit himself bears witness within our spirit that we are children of God. And the only way that's made possible is through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Through the Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us. The application that I want to leave with you from this text today is is twofold. One, number one, is this. Listen up. God's love for you is relentless. That is the message. (laughs) One of the messages we could take away from the book of Hosea. Because Hosea, if you read on in the book, she actually goes back to her lovers and then God tells Hosea, go get her. And we think, man, what a woman. 
I can't believe it. But have we not been Gomer in our lives, in our relationship with God? Have we not at times gone back to our former lovers of bitterness or hate or lust, greed, seeking to do things on our own? Have we not gone back to our lovers and yet God's relentless love, his Holy Spirit, that old hound of heaven, the old preachers used to call it, comes and seeks you out and convicts you, knocks you off your bar stool. And drags you back into the church. Amen. (laughs) He loves you. Amen. The Bible says nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. The Bible tells us that God loves us with a relentless love. Someone put it this way. God loves you. Get over it. I like that. God loves you. And he's never going to let go of you. That's one of the messages we take from Hosea, the book of Hosea. The second thing is this, and is that we are called, you and I, to be vessels of God's mercy. Put yourself in the shoes of Hosea. Go out and marry a harlot. Go out and marry someone of ill repute. Everybody knows who they are. Nobody hangs out with Gomer. Nobody wants to be seen with Gomer. Unless it's late at night in the dark somewhere. Nobody wants to be around Gomer. Don't you know her reputation? And yet God has called us today to be vessels of mercy for those who do not deserve mercy. Know anybody like that? Hmm. I'm sure you do. If you don't, just look in the mirror. Because you were Gomer too. Amen? Amen. God sent his son. Had him brutalized. And nailed on a cross for the likes of us. Therefore, the, Paul says the love of God compels, can, compels us to take the gospel to the lost. He's demonstrated mercy toward us, not so that we can just feel good about us, but so that his mercy might flow through us as a vessel to those around us who do not deserve it. Rather than curse the darkness, light a candle. I know your family's all jacked up or whatever, but rather than curse the darkness, <laughs> come on, light a candle. How do I light a candle, Pastor? Show people mercy who don't deserve it. Let the love of God be manifested in you. You and I, the Lord leaves us here. Oh, wouldn't it be great to pray the sinner's prayer? Boom, open your eyes, see Jesus. <laughs> Hallelujah. No, he leaves us here. And then he prayed, Father, I say, don't take them out of the world, but leave them in the world, that the world might, that they might be one as we are one, that the world may believe that you sent me. How can the world believe that Father sent the Son if there's no mercy that can flow through us to others? 
You, Calvary Worship Center, are a place where the mercy of God flows. That's a testament to that uh, Christophari that we're here last weekend for our Harvest Festival. Uh, unsolicited, left this testimony on, I think, Facebook or whatever. And I wanted to show it to you to, to demonstrate to you that sometimes we think, oh, God's not doing anything. God's moving and God is using this fellowship to be light in this community. And the devil wants to blow this candle out. But Jesus said, I will build my church in the gates of hell when I prevail against it. I want to show you this video as a testament to what God is doing through this ministry and through your life. Today was a glorious day. Today... We took a holiday that some people use to, um, for darkness, for the enemy, and we redeemed it. We turned it into the most incredible harvest festival that wasn't just about games and kids and cotton candy and getting all kinds of sugary treats. It wasn't just about that. It wasn't just about family and costumes and dressing up like your favorite character. It was about people coming together. People from different sides of town, different sides of the railroad tracks, different economic status. People from different races, from different cultures, from different age groups, all coming together at one church. If there was ever a church that truly myth-busted... Martin Luther King's the most segregated and separated time of the week is Sunday between 10 and 11. It's this church. They broke that mold. If there was ever a church that should be franchised across the nation for being diverse, both in leadership and in congregation, it's this church. Calvary Worship Center in Colorado Springs was life-changing tonight. And my favorite part of this Harvest Festival was seeing the harvest of souls, seeing the lives forever impacted. All these kids and young adults and adults leaving the building with me to get Bibles and be encouraged to read, pray, go to church, share their faith, and be on alert for attacks from the enemy. God moved tonight through our testimonies. <laughs> they overcame through the blood of the Lamb and the power of the testimony, and that's what happened. Tonight, people learned that God loves you. And so, so many people returned that love. Thank you so much for sending us to Calvary Worship Center here in Colorado Springs. That's an that's a, uh, unsolicited testimony about what God is doing through you and through this fellowship. And not just this fellowship, but other fellowships throughout our city. God is moving in a mighty and powerful way. The devil will want you to think otherwise. Amen. In conclusion, Gomer's name literally means complete. Hosea's name means salvation. You see how prophetic... What God was doing back then was affecting the first advent, was speaking to the first advent of Christ when he came and died on the cross for us. And now we look back on his, his death, burial, and resurrection, and we look at what 
God was asking Hosea to do, it had a meaning that was so significant that it reached far beyond Hosea's time, even to today. It spoke of the cross as we're reminded to us as we're going to celebrate here in just a moment in communion that God's mercy has been personified. That there is hope in a hopeless world. That God has left us here to be vessels of that hope and of his mercy. Father, we thank you for your word today. We thank you for your truth. If there's someone here, Lord, or watching online that could not answer in the affirmative, that is yes. When they're asked, do you know for certain you go to heaven? I pray today, Father, they would know that they can answer in the affirmative. They can say yes because of the mercy of God. Because they have given their life to Jesus Christ. If you are here today or watching online and you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, today you can open your heart to him. I invite you to pray this prayer, to repeat this prayer after me. Right where you're seated here in this auditorium or wherever you're seated at home or on the bed or wherever you are watching, bow your head. God is there. He loves you. And repeat this prayer. Simply say, Lord Jesus, I believe you are the Son of God. I believe you died for all of my sins. And I believe you are risen from the dead. Forgive me of my sins. Come into my life right now. Make me a brand new person. I surrender my life to you as my Lord and as my Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for catching today's episode of the CWCCS podcast. If you haven't already, hit subscribe in your favorite podcast app so you never miss an episode. And if this message hit home for you, share it with a friend. You can also support this ministry and these free teachings by visiting cwccs.org and click on Give. While you're there, you can also find the full archive of teachings from Pastor Al Pittman by clicking on the sermon's link. That's cwccs.org. This podcast is presented by Calvary Worship Center of Colorado Springs.